Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Part three on living a life of ever-increasing faith. That's where we are this morning. And faith is the currency of heaven. Fear is the currency of Satan. And faith will always lift your life, move your life forward, but fear will always shrink you. Isn't that true? And the devil uses fear to shrink our lives. Max Lucado wrote a book called Anxious for Nothing. I think I've quoted him in one of my own books. But I want to repeat it this morning. He speaks of the devil's currency, which is fear. And he says, fear, his modus operandi is to manipulate you with the mysterious, to taunt you with the unknown, fear of death, fear of failure, fear of God, the unhealthy fear of God, fear of tomorrow. His arsenal is vast. His goal, to create cowardly, joyless souls. He doesn't want you to make the journey to the mountain. He figures if he can rattle you enough, you'll take your eyes off the peaks and settle for a dull existence in the flatlands. What a good description of what fear does compared to faith. And we've got to be careful that faith doesn't get a, fear doesn't get a grip on us and shrink our lives. How many of you, how many of you realize we've already gone through you know, the COVID period and we're out the other end, but remember what COVID did to us, the fear that gripped us, the fear of dying, the fear of infection, and, and how that ruled our lives. And you, you, you know, the devil used that to shrink, even to shrink the church. But we've come back. We've rebuilt. We've had a new beginning. It's awesome. It's not quite the same now if you think of the world we live in and terrorism. At one time, international terrorism had us all in the grip of fear. And you still have to undress yourself and be inspected and groped and everything, especially when you go to America. Um, you can wear like a thin t-shirt and a thin tracksuit pants and then still stuff comes up on the screen and then they're touching in places. Anyway, that's been my experience. But it was time when we were so fearful. In fact, Osama bin Laden, after the 9-11, you know, the, the attack on the World Trade Center in New York, he, he was uh, on record as saying this. He said, from the north to the south, from the east to the west, Americans are living in, in fear and for this we thank God. What a thing to say. What I'd like to say that uh, I believe that we need to say instead, from the north to the south, the east to the west, people on all the river's campuses are living in ever-increasing faith. And for this, we thank God. Can you say amen? We're not going to let our lives be shrunk by fear. We've got to keep them expanding by faith. And uh, the Scripture warns us here in the book of Hebrews the writer says, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Quoting Habakkuk chapter 2, he goes on to say, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. You see, Israel had always shrunk back from believing God. They, they, they'd trust the Lord, and then they'd get into fear. They'd get into situations of lack, and then they'd shrink back. And, and, and God wanted them to move forward and advance like, like never before, but they went backwards like never before. How many of you realize that we're living in unprecedented times of evil? In order to overcome unprecedented times of evil, we need unprecedented faith. Not average faith, not, well, I, I believe 
No, no, no. In order to overcome the influences, the negativity of the kingdom of darkness, you need unprecedented faith. It needs to be ever increasing. Your faith needs to be like never before. It needs to be at the highest level possible. Look at Israel here in Jeremiah 14. This is why the Lord spoke to them uh, through the prophet. He says, for Israel has forsaken me and turned this valley into a place of wickedness. The people burn incense to foreign gods, idols never before acknowledged by this generation. In other words, there's evil and things they're worshiping like you've never seen before. How many of you know that speaks of today? And he says, by the ancestors or the kings of Judah, we need faith. And I, and, and I want you to take note of this truth on screen. Unprecedented times require us unprecedented faith. And I want to speak to today on, on growing faith for the unprecedented to believe God for things that you've never imagined you could believe God for. And to give you the definition of unprecedented, and I want you to see this definition, both in terms of evil and in terms of what God will do, because it speaks to both. If you think of the world we live in today, and, uh, and this definition is having no previous example. How I many you know we've seen things that have no previous example? Trends, thinking, behavior that we've never seen before. Not seen, known, or done before. Exceptional unimaginable, wonderful, unique, new. I believe that in the face of some unimaginable things, God wants us to think of what's possible in him, but we need to have faith for it. So let me give you four things this morning as you quietly sit all worn out and drained of any energy. <laughs> four ways that we can increase our faith. Unprecedented faith receives unprecedented breakthroughs. If you want what you've never seen before, you need to believe like you've never believed before. God doesn't respond to casual faith. Oh, well, I think he might. No, you've got to behave and believe like you've never believed before. Unprecedented times require unprecedented faith. And if you want to see God's greatness in your life, you've got to believe like never before. John Maxwell famously said this, if we always do what we've always done, we will always get what we've always got. That's been a, a, a thing with Rivers Church. We, we don't keep doing what we've always done. We keep going to the next level. We keep believing God for the next level, for the next campus, for the next expansion, for the next team of staff, for us to be growing and moving forward, multiple services, to be raising up leaders. There was a time when we didn't have leaders of different color in our church. We trusted God by faith to raise up people and to work. And today we see the fruit of our faith. Are you with me? Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now glory be to God, who by his mighty power at work within us, is able to do far more than you would ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. God wants to do much more, but we need to believe for it. Unprecedented faith receives unprecedented breakthroughs, things we've never seen before. And God stands ready since Old Testament times to do what's never been done before. I want to unpack this a bit before we get to the next point. And I want to talk about what God wants us to trust him for. Exodus chapter 34. Then the Lord said, I'm making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people who live among you will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. How many of you believe for that? You believe that God can do something never before done in your life, in our nation? 
hmm, through Rivers Church. Keep expanding, keep growing, leave a legacy, not be a one-day wonder and burn bright and then fall into error or fall into sin or fall into disgrace, but go from strength to strength. Can you believe that? That's our journey from the little building on the corner with just a few people to multiple properties across South Africa, five campuses, and now sixth campus, we've bought the land and are about to build. That's progress that is unprecedented in the life of this church, and we're not gonna stop, we're gonna keep believing. And the Lord promises he'll do it. When Solomon built the temple, things were done that were never done before. It was a different era. David's faith paved the way, and Solomon, with a strong economy, built the temple. 1 Kings chapter 10 says the king used sandalwood to make railings for the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and to construct lyres and harps for the musicians. Never before or since has there been such a supply of sandalwood. There was unprecedented faith which resulted in unprecedented breakthroughs and this glorious temple was built. It was so wonderful, it had never been done before that even the Queen of Sheba traveled across the whole of uh, that Middle Eastern world to come and have a look. I mean, you know that people come here regularly to look at Rivers Church building. I'm so used to it, but the team take them on tours and they go through the building and they look at all the facilities and they, and they remark on everything, you know, and why did you do this and how did you do that? And then they find out that it's not been done before. And now they get inspired to do it themselves. In fact, this building has, has been duplicated by another church. They went to our architects and copied our plans because it was unprecedented. It's a pretty good compliment. Are you with me? But we did it together. We believed for something unbelievable, and then we stepped out and did it. But we're not done yet. We've got to keep going. Hmm? We're putting up a new building over there. It's nearly done. And it's not just for us. It's for the next generation. And so we need to keep believing. And when the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon, 2 Chronicles 9, 9, notice this. When she, then she gave the king a gift of 9,000 pounds of gold, that's the NLT, great quantities of spice and precious jewels. Never before had there been spices as fine as those the Queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. God's a God of the unprecedented. He does the unusual. And if you realize that, when Mary ha had a virgin birth, it wasn't like, oh, another virgin birth. <laughs> That's interesting. It's happening a lot lately. No, no, no. And I know for some teenagers, it's almost like a, I don't know how this happened to me. It's almost like a virgin birth. No, it was unprecedented. It was unprecedented. And then when Jesus came, the miracles he did were unprecedented. We need to believe God for the unprecedented. In John chapter 9, when the blind man was healed, the Bible says he was born blind and uh, Jesus healed him, and then the Pharisees argued with him as to, you know, how come you can see who was it? And he said this, he said, never before in the history of the world has someone been, who's been born blind been healed. It was, it was an unprecedented occasion. We need to believe God for that. Unprecedented miracles, unprecedented breakthroughs, but it first starts with unprecedented faith, where we trust God, and we step out, and we believe him. If you think of the book of Acts, unprecedented unity. The church pulled together. They gave, they fellowshiped, they served one another. And that caused growth that we didn't see much after that. Chapters four to six, you see incredible growth. Unprecedented faith and unprecedented commitment produce unprecedented leadership. Are you with me? 
King Josiah, because of unprecedented faith and commitment, he starts ruling at eight years old, and he rules for 31 years, and he changes everything. And the scripture says this of him, never before had there been a king like Josiah, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses, and there has never been a king like him since. Unprecedented. How many of you know that's a season for us to believe for? for our church and for our lives. And uh, he, he changed the face of that nation. We need to have unprecedented faith so that we can believe for unprecedented breakthroughs. This is what I've discovered is that when you get too used to where you are, you don't expect the extraordinary or the unprecedented. You can almost lose your appetite for the miraculous. Many of you would remember when the two brothers, Wilbur and Orville, flew off the dunes of Kitty Hawk in North Carolina with their airplane in 1903. And uh, what a momentous occasion it was. What a breakthrough moment. What an unprecedented thing that a, a machine made by men, they called it a man-powered flight. You know, people, people could, uh, could uh, jump off a building and flap their arms, but this was a man-powered craft. It was unprecedented. And uh, the boys actually, when it happened, it was so amazing, they sent a telegram to their sister Catherine. She lived in a town called Dayton. And uh, the telegram uh, was interesting because it says this, we have actually flown 120 feet, we'll be home for Christmas. Well, they, the sister took the telegram and ran to the Dayton newspaper and she put it in front of the editor. She said, read this, read this. And he picked it up and he said, oh, how sweet, the boys will be home for Christmas. He completely missed the unprecedented flight of man. He even went on to print a headline in the newspaper, the Dayton newspaper, prominent local bicycle merchants home for Christmas. <laughs> you see, the reason was is that faith had got to a low level. And their father, Bishop Milton Wright, had 30 years earlier taught them, because they were Christians, a Christian family, he had taught them that God had created the angels to fly, not man. But they had not lost their desire to do something unprecedented. And they had faith to build that plane. And they eventually built it. And they took flight. And uh, they were even criticized by the Smithsonian Institute, a notable institute in America, who said, no, you guys weren't the first guys to fly. It was actually Langley. And so they even attacked their, their, their flight. And uh, Orville, uh, the one brother was asked, you know, why don't you speak up? Why don't you get a press agent and, and go on the warpath? Because you guys were the first. And his reply was quite wonderful. He said, uh, did you know that the bird that flies the least and talks the most is the parrot? <laughs> we're not going to do that. We're going to let our achievement speak for itself. And they've gone out in history. But you can miss the unprecedented by having such a low level of faith and expectation that it just bypasses you. Are you with me this morning? We need to keep our faith up. There have been people who believed that they could do things and people laughed at them. I was reading about the famous architect, Frank Lloyd Wright. In the 1900s, he, he lived 70 years actually and designed over a thousand structures. But in the early 1900s, he was commissioned by uh, a Tokyo company to build a, the Imperial Hotel. And you know that Tokyo is plagued by earthquakes. And uh, he began to think differently and realized that if he 
examined the soil, he might find mud, and two and a half meters down he found mud, and when you build on mud, the building moves, and normally that's very bad. The building we're building here, we drilled through the mud with columns and, and ended up on the rock to keep the building stable, but there he found, gee, 2.5 meters down and 18 meters across, there's this bed of mud. So he builds this hotel, the Imperial Hotel, on the mud, and people criticized and jeer. The newspapers wrote articles about it and mocked him, but guess what? He finished it in 1923, and exactly in that year, as the building was finished, it was tested by the worst earthquake in 52 years that Tokyo had ever experienced, and the building stood, and all the other buildings fell down. Pretty amazing. And uh, it was such a notable and unprecedented achievement that in 1968, 40 years later, when the building was too small, the hotel had outgrown, become very famous, but it had outgrown its size, they decided to take it down, and there's a new hotel in its place built on that location. They, they, they so revered this unprecedented achievement that they took the entrance of the building, and they actually replicated it at a museum in Nagoya, and you can travel there today, and that is the actual entrance rebuilt because of such a remarkable achievement. He thought differently, he saw differently, and that's how we need to be. Unprecedented faith produces unprecedented breakthroughs. Are you living in the ordinary, or are you growing your faith and believing God for what you've never seen before? Number two, and this is a brief point before we get to number three, where we will spend some time, is we cannot leave it up to God. If you want unprecedented faith, don't think that God's just going to shower you with it. It's up to you. Paul, in writing to the church in, in, in Corinth, he says this. He says, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. He places the responsibility for speech, knowledge, uh, giving, and love, and also faith on them. And he says to them, it's your job to excel in these areas. It's not up to God. Are you with me? So you can't sit here and say, Lord, I've always, been, I've always been a doubting Thomas, you know. I've always been skeptical. It's one of my gifts. No, you need to grow your faith. And it needs to be ever increasing. And this is what I've discovered about faith. People were baptized today. Thank God for it. Let's give them a hand, actually. Both services, awesome. And uh, we saw a lot of young people being baptized today. It's such a wonderful thing. They've made a call for that. And, and when you get baptized, your faith is at a level where you believe God, you lay your life down. But how many of you know, many people in later years, sadly, lose that faith. So faith is not static. Either you have to grow it and maintain it and build it, or it will dissipate. You're not just born full of faith. I didn't go to school and realize one day you're going to preach, boy. You're going you're gonna to do miracles. You're going to literally almost walk on water. You're going to build a big church, boy. You know you can do it, eh? No, God has grown my faith. Where I didn't believe the Bible, then I believed the Bible, and then I began to fully trust the Bible, and then I began to see God's miracles. I began to trust Him with building a church. Then, then, then Lord, if you can, Lord, if you can repair this church, if you can just get us on an even keel, Lord, if you can just let us meet our monthly expenses. We pastor churches in Cape Town. That's, that's what we believe for. And we came here, we believe for the same, but then we realized we've got to keep growing our faith. So we believe for another building, believe for more services, more influence, believe for more staff. Then we were in the building next door, five services. We believe for this building. Stretch your hands out to the wall. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Mr. Cariolis's land is ours. He now, I think, lives in Pretoria, and he sit on, as they say in Afrikaans. 
Some of you, this is where the pool was. That's what you, you see grow. Now you can choose. It's not up to God. It's up to you. You've got to make a decision. So first thing to grow your faith. So, well, okay, yes, I'll grow my faith. Is, this is the most important thing, and this is number three, because this is, this is where we start, is you need to understand what level of faith we are currently on. Where are you currently? And I want to give you levels of faith today, four of them in just a moment. But just to precurse that, if you study the book of Genesis, you'll see levels of faith there. You'll see that Enoch, you're with me? You still alive? And I'm not carrying a rugby ball, and I'm not as exciting, and I'm not biting anyone's ears, so it's quite hard to listen to me. How many of you know that Enoch walked with God? Say walked. That's all he did. The Bible says he walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So God liked the fact that he was a friend, and that he trusted in the Lord, and respected God, and God chatted to him, and he chatted to God. But that was the scope of his life. They were just friends. But then we come to a man called Abel, he's mentioned next, and he goes to the next level. He didn't just walk with God, Abel walked with God, but Abel worshipped God with his substance. There are many Christians who come to church and walk with God. I love the Lord, I pray every day, but they don't worship, are you with me? With their substance. You worship with your mouth. Abel gave an offering. The Bible says it was considered a better offering than Cain's because it was given with faith. Are you with me? But then we come to the next man that's mentioned, Noah. Noah didn't just walk with God and worship God. Noah worked for God. He was at another level. You with me? And that's what Christians need to be. We can't just say, oh, I know Jesus. No, we've got to now worship and, and serve with our gift and serve with our finances. But then we also need to work for God. That's where people end up in the ministry. You do something great for God that shows you fully trust God. I mean, you know, when you're building an ark and you've never seen rain, that's faith. God says it's going to rain. I've never seen rain. Don't know what rain is, but if he said it, I believe it. So for 120 years, he doesn't just sing songs and bring offerings. He works. Are you with me? So there are levels. So now we need to ask ourselves, where are we and what level are we on? Those are just three levels. I'm going to give you four levels now. Number one, the first one is no faith. No faith. Now you say, well, isn't that unbelievers? No, there are people in church who have no faith. You know what they say? They're like, Thomas, I can't believe. I can't believe. And so there's unbelief even though there's evidence. In Mark chapter 16, the disciples ended up in a place where they had no faith. It says Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were eating. Notice this, he rebuked them for their lack of faith. They had none. And their stubborn refusal to believe. So there was evidence, but they couldn't believe. And, and he says, those who had seen him after he had risen. In Jesus' hometown, he goes and preaches there. They say, we know you. You grew up down the road here. You used to play cricket with my brother. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. They had no faith. Why? Because they looked at everything in the natural. You've got to be careful as a Christian that you don't go back to natural thinking, natural reasoning, because that's what's being sent to you via social media every day of your life. Every time you scroll, natural thinking, natural logic, worldly thinking, in fact, attached to demonic thinking, is coming to you and getting you to reason. And you've got to be careful you don't end up with no faith because you can be in church and have no faith. Are you with me? Scary thing. Number two is little faith. So we go from no faith to little faith. Little faith is where we can believe God and we, we barely believe God, but as soon as challenges come, we change our minds. 
So we live in worry, we live in stress. We can sing on Sunday, I trust in God. And I've seen you, my Savior, the one. And the booty goes, who will never. And we sing, but on Tuesday they tell you people are going to be retrenched and they're dark gutted. From little faith to no faith. And here's the thing, I want you to notice this. This faith is only centered around us at this point. But then it disappears even. I'll give you an example of it. Remember when uh, Jesus was speaking in the Sermon of the Mount, he said, oh, you of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Can you see that when stress and income and, and, and the petrol price or, or, or these things come, we, we stop believing God? I mean, you know, that's a very low level. You'll see when Peter was on the water with Jesus and he said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. And then he came, climbed out of the boat and he walked on the water. And when he saw the wind and the waves, he began to sink. And Jesus took, reached out his hand and caught him. Matthew chapter 14, he says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? See, this is where we can barely believe for ourselves, let alone for other people. And I've discovered this with church. Listen to me today. When we talk about things like breakthrough offering, when we talk about things that are bigger than us, a lot of people are lost. It's like they're going to, they're going to a coma because they can't think beyond themselves and their needs. God wants your faith to go to a much higher level. So it's not, not no faith or little faith. We then get to something strange. It's called faith. This is where you're quite strong, but you only believe for yourself. I trust God. I trust Him for my job. Trust Him for a car. Trust Him for a woman. Trust Him for a man. I believe Him for a good future. Amen. Now, we would commend people like that, but that's still only level three. Are you with me? And you'll see it here in the Scriptures. It's repeated many times where you see people believing for themselves. You remember in Luke chapter 8, the woman with the issue of blood. She went through the crowd because she was bleeding. Are you all with me? And she grabbed hold of Jesus, and then he stopped and he said, who touched me? And they're like, what do you mean who touched you? There's a whole crowd around you. He said, someone touched me because power went out of me. And then he called the woman and she said, yes, it was me. And he said this to her daughter, your faith has saved you. Or your faith has healed you. She believed for herself. She didn't have no faith. She didn't have little faith. She had faith. You with me? But we need to go to level four. You're listening intently. I hope you're getting this. First service was incredibly responsive. It was almost like we were watching rugby. <laughs> no, no, you're listening. Just keep listening. I'm teasing you, making sure you're present. Because maybe you ate too much last night. Or maybe you shouted too much last night. Or maybe there was other substances you consumed, but we won't go there. <laughs> Number four. Number four is where we need to be. Are you all with me? So no faith, little faith, faith, which is for yourself. But great faith is where God wants us to be. Because great faith will believe for the unprecedented because great faith believes on behalf of others. Are you with me? This is maturity in faith. Selfish faith can, have, can trust God for our needs and is not put off by circumstances or costs and so on. But God wants us to go to the next level because that kind of unprecedented faith will produce unprecedented results in a church and in a country. Give you an example of it. Do you remember the woman that came to Jesus and asked him to heal her daughter, Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15? And Jesus said, I've been sent to the house of Israel. 
And she said, uh, and he said, I, I, I haven't been sent to the Gentiles. She was a Gentile. And then she said, yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from under the table, you know, of the people that are in the family. And he said, to, he said this to her, and I'll quote it to you. He then answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Can you see she went to Jesus on behalf of someone else, not just herself? That's great faith. When we as Rivers Church don't just focus on our needs and our giving and our prosperity, and I'm giving a miracle because I want this, we're thinking much bigger, God can do big things through us. Now stay with me here. We've still got a good couple of minutes here. How many of you remember the centurion that came to Jesus? And he said, Lord, my servant lies at home sick. Would you heal him? And Jesus said, I will come. And he said, no, no, don't even come. Just say the word. For I am a man under authority, and I say to one, go, and he goes, come, and he comes, and he says, just speak the word. And then Jesus said, I've not found such great faith. What, the fact that he didn't have to come to the house? No, that he had a heart for other people, even a servant, that he would come to Jesus. He didn't come on his behalf. He came on behalf of someone at home. We need to have faith on behalf of people in our nation who are poor, who are weak. We need to trust God to improve this country because many of us are living at a great level, but it's not just about us. Many of us are enjoying this building and these facilities and it'll serve us well in our children at Kids Zone. But the people who still haven't come here, who are gonna come into this building and into other campuses, who are going to reap because we had great faith. Not no faith and little faith or just faith. We had great faith and believed on their behalf. I'll tell you what, God will give us great rewards, not just in this life, but in the life to come. Are you with me today? It is so important that we trust God and have faith. Number four, and we'll finish with this, unprecedented faith should result in unprecedented actions. Belief is not something that you just have in your heart. It normally has an outworking in your actions. Book of James, James says, do you believe? Well, even the demons believe and tremble. We need to not just believe, but we need to act out our belief. And you'll find that when you believe God and you have unprecedented levels of faith, you can't help but respond to God and do things for God. Usually you pray and you pray for others and you pray for yourself, but you also give and you extend yourself because no longer is an obligation. How many of you know that next week we don't want you to come and be obliged to give or forget that it's breakthrough offering and then you find yourself in the pew, oh no. It's this weekend. We should have diarized it and gone away to the dam. No. If you're doing that, you've got no faith because you're not giving by obligation. You're not giving to pay bills. You're not giving because oh, our church is doing it. You should be giving because your faith in God is such that you know that if you believe Him and you act on His word, that you will never lose. Explain it to you in two ways. Just quickly here. You're with me? Number one, faith like this doesn't have a grudging heart. If you have a grudging heart, it means you don't have faith. It doesn't mean you don't have money. It means you don't have faith. In Deuteronomy 15, give generously to them, he's speaking to the poor, and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you. In all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Can you see the way we give is as important as what we give? You see, if you give grudgingly, it means you don't trust God 
to look after you or to reward you. That's why you give grudgingly. It's like, oh, I've got to give. Ugh. They're all giving. Look at them. We look like we, we look stingy. Give something. <laughs> Faith says, give me another opportunity to give. I wrote a book on money. It's uh, called Money Matters. In there, I talk about the difference between givers and takers. Givers always find a way to give. Takers always find a way to take. So when you eat out with people, suss them out. Because often when it comes near bill time, chip, I need to go to the loo. Oh, did you guys pay? Oh, thank you. It's not about money. It's about this. See, what will cure that? You say, well, that's very clever. They, they pay. I've been out with my friends three times, and all three times I didn't pay. I had extra money. So I'm driving a BM. No, no, that's not the way to live. The way you should live is by faith. No, 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 don't steal my blessing from me. I'm paying. No, you, you go, out, go out with our staff. There's a Barney over the bill. In fact, what you have to do when you walk into the restaurant is give your card in first. <laughs> I had to do that when we, we were in Cape Town, some of our team, and I went into a restaurant. I was like, take my card. I tip well. Don't listen to that guy over there. His name is Wayne. Do not listen to him. <laughs> Mona's husband, and, and, and he won't tip you like I will. So it's like a whole thing. And then Wayne comes. No, Pastor Andre, you went before me. Yep, I did. Why? I'm not trying to get out of paying. I'm trying to get the release of favor to stay over my life. I'm not trying to look good. It's not because we're loaded. It's because we understand that when you have unprecedented faith, you can expect unprecedented blessing. So as a result, guess what happens to me? We go and eat out, and then... I, you know, you've got to call the ways. Do you still do that yet? That means I want to pay. Huh? And then they come over. Are oh, you Pastor Andre? Yeah, uh, some couple walked past the restaurant and they paid for you. Yeah, it's happened to us repeatedly. Now, please don't feel obliged when you walk past the restaurant. But <laughs> no, but this, you, know what, you know why? It's God. Because God lays that on your heart. I don't think you see us in the restaurant and say, shame, they're eating out. I'm not sure they can afford it. <laughs> you tell your husband, babe, babe, we've got to pay for them. No, we can't go. What if they get arrested? No, it's not that. It's God prompts you. So it's a prompting of the Lord. It's not guilt. It's not duty. God does it because God has seen our faith in operation in how we live. So he provides us with unprecedented Blessing. Are you, are you hearing me today? I don't want to just sound like a boast. It's not a boast. It's when you have faith, you don't give grudgingly. There's a whole different spirit to it. Number two, when you, when you have unprecedented faith, it sees the harvest, not the giving. You see, your eyes not on the amount you're giving. Your eyes on the harvest. We, we're giving this year again, and I know that if we didn't give and we didn't have a breakthrough offering or there wasn't some special project that we were giving to, we could probably go on a really nice holiday, maybe to Mauritius, and you know, have a two weeks there and just really enjoy ourselves. But I don't see that. I'm not looking at, hey, this could have, could have bought a Hugo Boss suit and I could have bought a Louis Vuitton bag for you and we could have stopped looking, look at, I know that in the years to come, we will never lack because God will make sure. You've got to see, faith sees that unbelief is, eh, 
It'll let you live in the flatlands, never live on the, on the heights. 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says this. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He's pointing to the harvest. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should uh, give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Now, let me explain something to you about cheerful giving here. This is not when we do the offering. Sometimes Pastor Vilma says, you're all sucking on lemons. What's wrong with you? Oh, we better smile. Now, on the inside, you're going, ah, outside, yeah. <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> you know the Christianese, when you die inside, praise God, hallelujah, glory to God. That's not cheerful giving. Cheerful giving is when from here, you are so happy to give because you know that you know that you know that God will never let you down. That's the level of faith we need to live at. And, and hear me today. I'm not saying this to you so that we can get a massive offering out of you. I'm saying this to you so that you can live at another level of faith and experience another level of God's blessing. Yeah, that half a clap convinces me that you believe me. I've got a few minutes here. Let me do this quickly. Luke chapter 6. These are the words of Jesus, by the way. He said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure. Can you see? He straight away moves away from the giving to the harvest. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Will be what? Poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Can you see the whole verse talks about the reward, the return and the result? Not about give and don't worry and don't take strain and empty your purse until there's nothing in it. No, it's, it's give and then harvest, future. Remember this. Uh, there's a great uh, Frenchman who designed earth-moving equipment, written a number of books, gone to be with the Lord. In fact, he was the originator of a lot of the large earth-moving equipment that we see in the world, and he was a Christian. And he knew God's measure in his life because he started out tithing and then he went on and gave more and more and more money. And he said this, he said, I shovel money out and God shovels it back, but God has a bigger shovel. It's a pretty amazing thing. The measure that you use, the Bible says, will be measured to you, but I've always seen God give me more than I've given him. And even when I thought I've given him a large amount, he's given me more. You see, it's not just about participating because you have to. It's because of who you are. Who are you today? You know, it, it's important to think about this. Alexander the Great was riding along the road one day. I, I'm nearly done here. Just stay with me. And as he rode past, a beggar was sitting against the wall. And it, it's a well-known story. It's, it's been told often. He reached out his hand. And, you know, when the, when, when, when the king rides past and someone reaches out, they're like, ah. and, and it's almost like, how dare you? Anyway, he stopped and he looked at the beggar and he was begging and he threw him a couple of gold coins. And the guy riding with him, you know, the, the armor bearer and the, the chief next to him said to him, sir, sir, copper coins would have been okay. And Alexander responded by saying this, and I want this to be a challenge to you. Copper coins would suit the beggar's need, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. It's not what we can get away with. Who are you? And I know we face this challenge every single robot we stop at. No, it's true. I mean, I don't know what the people at the robots think we are. But if you go to Sandton City and you drive through 10 robots, by the time you get to the other side, you'll turn back because you've got no money to spend. <laughs> so that's not the principle. But it is, when you are giving, think about who you are. Not what's required, what you can get away with. 
but have unprecedented faith for breakthrough. You know, as I close, I think the story speaks to us and it carries an illustration for us. A man by the name of Norman Borlaug, he was a geneticist who worked with plants and, and so on. And he, he, it was in the 40s when, when he noticed that if we didn't get food production up, we would, we would starve as a planet. And all these doomsday stories were written. Well, he collected samples of wheat and corn and various kinds of vegetables and so on. And he began to do what we know today as genetic modification. And he developed plants that were resistant to cold and resistant to certain pests and so on. And I know there's a whole thinking that it's terrible for you and you eat it, you'll die. Nonetheless, this man did something unprecedented. He's only one of five people in the world to have been awarded these three medals, the Nobel Peace Prize, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and the Congressional Gold Medal. And at the age of 95, he passed away. And you know what they said when he passed away? He is said to have saved a billion lives. And today, food is not short like it used to be. There's an abundance because crops, crops began to explode. And one man's faith and foresight brought about something unprecedented in our world. They said we would all die, but instead we're seeing an overabundance of food. I think we need to be people like this. We need to see the unprecedented, and we need to give so that we can save lives, see beyond ourselves. God is calling us to ever-increasing faith. Can you say amen? We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.